Is it Proverbs today being the 26th? I picked one verse out of chapter 26. I chose 27. If you set a trap for others, you'll get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. Wow. Today, um, today we start a new series, and um, I like to occasionally look at the characters of the Old Testament, and we do that from time to time. Today, we're going to start a new series where we're looking at uh, the guy, a guy named Daniel. And... Um, his story begins when he's in his teen years, and uh, if, if, you, if you're thinking now, oh, Daniel, that this is going to be a teaching about the book of Daniel, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to go into the prophecies, which I love, and I have a tendency to want to go there all the time, but um, instead we're going to study this guy's character and some of his best friends, and, um, and, and we're going to see how he was able to, to uh, stand out for God, how he's able to stand out for God in the right ways, at the right time and for the right reasons, which, you know, being able to do that can really impact your life. You know, being able to stand up in the right ways really will impact. And when we do stand out in the right ways at the right time, you know, it, it can set the course of direction for our lives. Flip side's also true. When we compromise and decide not to stand out in the right ways and for the right things, it can cost us in ways that we don't want to think about. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we stand up for the things in life that matter the most. Today, we're going to, we're going to look at the topic of standing out, um, you know, appearing to be different from everybody around us, which some of you are very good at being... Okay. Um, that's where the seven-second delay has failed me the second time today, so I don't know what to say. Um, I'll blame you for that. Because blaming my wife is never wise, so I guess the sound guy, Jason, son-in-law. Um, next week, huh? Okay, not much better. That's right. He's the father of my granddaughter. Okay, so next week um, we're gonna we're gonna look at standing up for what's right. Um, Daniel actually stands up to the king. You know, he kind of stands up to this guy who has the power to take his life, which is a pretty amazing thing. And and, and over the future weeks, we'll talk about standing for the things that matter the most. You know, in this case, the king says, you can't pray anymore, and we'll talk about that. I will talk about standing in faith and prayer, which uh, I think um, this guy named Michael, the archangel, shows up, and he tells these people some terrific things about God. And I think that that particular message could really minister to some people who are, um, need it in a deep way. And the last week, we're going to be talking about standing in the fire, literally, and uh, when, when there's opposition, when people are opposing us. So that's kind of where we're going. I want to start out with a little bit of groundwork, though, and kind of set the stage for you um, about, and that'll help us over the next several weeks. And we're going, to, we're going to talk about this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was this, this evil king who destroyed Israel, or Ju- Jerusalem, excuse me. And, and he was so evil that he didn't just go in and, 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 and destroy the city. He also decided to go further. He went in there and he burned the temple. And that wasn't enough. He went into the temple and he took you know, all of the implements that were important to their spiritual life and he took those things and he melted them and crushed them and broke them. I mean, he, he just kept going and going. And, uh, you know, and after he destroyed the city, and after he destroyed the temple and, and, and all of their religious symbols, it gets worse to make things worse. He says to his leaders... Go find their best youth. Go find the best young men among them and uh, kidnap them, bring them to me, and I'm going to raise them right, his viewpoint. I'm going I'm to indoctrinate them in the ways of the, the Babylonian culture. Uh, and in just a few years, I will turn them from what they were going to become 
into something that I'd rather have them be. And so he's basically saying, I'm not only destroying, you know, he, he, he crushes Jerusalem. I'm not only destroying the city and the people there and today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after their future as well. I mean, this, this guy is evil, and um, he's thinking about that. So um, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and starting in verse 3 to 5, here it is. I'll put it, it's up on the wall for you if you need it. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, go find the the young men who are voted most likely to succeed. Go go find the ones that were, you know, just that have really got it going on. And uh, so he says, he goes on, he says, he was to teach them the language. I want them to speak like we speak. And literature of the Babylonians, I want them to think like we think. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This is important. We're going to come back to this later. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Let's invite the king to the other, the big K king, to invite to, to invade our time here. God, um, we, we now enter into a study of your word and what it is that's going on there. Help us, Lord, to see the things that you would want to build us with, shape us with, that help us, Lord, that when we um, spend this time and we make our hearts available to your spirit, and that's the reason we came today, in Jesus' name, amen. So what you see going on here is this very intentional, strategic plan to indoctrinate these young boys into the Babylonian culture. The king wants them to think like Babylonians think and behave like Babylonians behave and believe like Babylonians believe. That's, the king's got a plan here, which I believe mirrors the strategy of, of um, our spiritual enemy who, who wants followers of Christ to think like he thinks, do the things he wants them to do, believe like he wants them to believe. This, you know, in fact, I, I believe Satan not only wants the followers of Christ, but he wants every person on this earth to disregard the teaching of the one true God. He wants them all, every person on this earth, to submit and to surrender to his systems of this world. And there's this full-on spiritual attack that's, that's present around you and me as Satan lies and deceives and, and, and tries to lure people away from God's best and uh, in, in living according to, uh, to live according to some lower standard. So I would argue this major point, and this is my point, major point today, it is completely impossible to be a sort of Christian and have spiritual success in this world. I mean, it's, it's completely impossible to have, be some sort of cultural Christian and have spiritual success. So, so okay, so maybe you've heard that phrase, you know, what, Terry, Terry, what's a cultural Christian? You know, you might, they're, they're all around. There are cultural Christians all around in, uh, in our, in our, in our um, where we live. And, you know, if you ask them, do you believe in God? They'll say, yeah, 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 I believe in God. I, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not something else. I, uh, I was born in this country. I go to church, you know, at Easter and the big holidays. Um, yeah, of course we're Christians. Well, is there any outward sign or evidence that you um, 
uh, that that's true. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm a good person. I, I, I try hard, and you know, I'm not religious like some weird people who go to church all the time. You know, um, but and I don't take it that seriously. I'm kind of a Christian, and I'd argue all day long that it is completely impossible to be a sort of, kind of cultural Christian and have spiritual success against the temptations and the trials that are present in this world. You can't just kind of, sort of, be in and have, expect to have victory against the kinds of things that we face. I mean, it'd be kind of like saying to yourself, well, you know, you can't do one workout a year and expect to be in shape, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't say to your wife one time a year, I love you. And expect her to believe it all the rest of the year long. You, you can't go to even go to church for 90 minutes a week and expect to be growing and thriving spiritually. You have to make the presence of God a priority in your life. You, you, you know, where you, where you seek him, where you depend upon him, where his, where his word is feeding you and where his, his presence is renewing your mind and where the spirit is leading you. Letting, him, letting his spirit guide you. You just can't be a kind of sort of Christian and have the kind of life and victory that the Lord wants you to have. That's why Paul said in Ephesians uh, 6, 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Sometimes you have to take a stand against the devil's schemes. He goes on in, in a couple of verses later in verse 13. He says, therefore put on the full armor of God, which is I won't, I mean, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Having your feet shod with the, with the shoes of the preparation of peace, I mean, the readiness of peace, those are the things that the Lord says, put that stuff on, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Sometimes you have to take a stand for the things that matter most in the right way, at the right time, and for the right reasons. And I would submit this to you. If you are never standing out and you're always blending in, then you're truly not a committed, you're not a truly committed follower of Christ. Because when you follow him, you will be different. You will be set apart. The word holy means set apart. You, to be holy, you're going to be set apart. And there are times that you have to stand out. There just are times. If you're, if you're truly following Jesus. And we're going to see that happen in the life of Daniel and his pals, um, starting in verses 6 and 7. Among those who were chosen were some, of, some from Judah. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official, we're going to watch now as he changes two things. He's going to change their diet and their name. He's going to change their diet and their name. Okay. Um, the chief gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Why? Why did he change their names? Well, let's get some context here. First off, how old are these boys? Nobody knows for sure, but most scholars believe they were somewhere between 12 and 15. Okay, so for our context, we're talking about 6th grade-ish to freshman in high school-ish and in between. Junior high. These are junior hires, probably, somewhere. Okay? And they're being stripped of their identity. They're kidnapped, taken a thousand miles away from home. Okay, 
Do you know a sixth grader? Picture that person stripped of their name, taken from mom and dad, a thousand miles away to a distant place that's going to be radically different. And the first thing the king wants to do, he wants their names changed. Why? Well, their original names were all tied to the worship and the service of Yahweh, of of the one true God. Now, um, I want to take just a uh, just a second, and do a little rabbit trail on the word Yahweh. Um, there are names of God that you'll see in the word of, in, in the Bible, and there are places that, if you were to actually look at it in some of the manuscripts from which the Bible is translated, you'll see Latin letters Y H W H, basically Latin, and that's um, that's where we get the name Yahweh. It's how it would be approximately pronounced. There's there's missing vowels, and. Um, the the uh, most most pronunciations most Hebrew scholars would say Yahweh in around 1100 or so um, people started using the word Jehovah so that's that's the roots of that in uh, if you are a religious observant Jew you do not say these letters you are forbidden to speak the name of God and so what they would do is when they would come through their scriptures in the Torah instead of actually saying it out loud they would usually substitute the word Adonai which is the word uh, Lord. Okay, so anyway, so I, I mentioned the word Yahweh, and I thought, okay, that might be odd-sounding to a lot of people. I just wanted to kind of get you up to speed. We would say God, the one true God. So Nebuchadnezzar wants to change their names because their original names were tied to the worship and the service of Yahweh. The meanings of the, their names given to them by their mothers and their fathers, worshiping and serving Yahweh. Their new names are tied to the worship of false pagan gods. So essentially, the plan is that every time somebody calls you by your new name, which is what's going to happen now, every time somebody calls you, it's a reminder, you serve pagan gods now. You serve our gods. You no longer serve the one true God you claim, Yahweh. You're going to serve these other gods. Every time they were called by name, time after time after time repeating, you're now going to be different. You're going to be, think differently. I want you to think like we think, believe like we believe, behave like we believe. And um, it goes on and on and on every day when they would be called by name. And then the second thing they're going to do is they're going to change their diet. We read read earlier a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, at first blush, that sounds pretty good. Because if the king's table, it's probably the best foods, lots of fudge, (laughs) brownies, the good stuff, the corners of the brownies, you know. The servants can have the, the center, but the corners, the king gets those. And the really good brownies with the icing on the top, never just a naked brownie, unless it's covered with, like, ice cream. Okay, I don't know what this has to do with the Word of God. Just, just, that's a rabbit trail that wasn't put there by the Holy Spirit. So, let's get off of that. Anyway, it sounds good. The king's food, it's probably the best food, the best food cooked by the best chefs. I mean, you do not want to disappoint the guy who says, I don't like you. Go kill this guy. Anyway, you're going to cook the best. I mean, he's having good... It, it. So it sounds, at first blush, pretty cool, right? King's food, we're in. The problem is, for them, that the king's meats and the king's wines were all dedicated to these pagan gods. And that's a problem for these boys, because they wanted to worship and honor Yahweh in every way possible in their lives. So to eat and to drink these foods dedicated to pagan gods was, it was across the line for them. It would dishonor God. They did not want to go there. 
So verse 8 is the key verse for us, I think, today. Um, It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. That's, 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 That's always amazed me when I'd read this passage because he didn't fight back when they took his name away. Change my name. He's, there's nothing in here that indicates he objected or, or resisted that. But change his diet? Do you, do you catch those? I mean, I, I, I find that interesting. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing he's thinking something like this. You know, you can call me whatever you want. You can tie me by name to whatever God you want. It doesn't change what I know to be true about me. I will serve my God. I will follow my God. I think he's thinking, you know, you can, you can, you can attack my name, my name, all you want. And he's not going to make a, make a fuss over that. Because his, my name's not worth standing up for. I think that's probably what's going on here. He didn't defend his name. When did he take a stand? He took a stand when God's name might be defamed. You know, I, I think it's like he's saying, I won't help you insult the name of my God. I, I'm resolved not to defile myself and eat this food. I love it because he made a predetermined resolution. Before the temptation was ever there, he predecided what he would do and what he would not do. He predecided, and I believe that's why he was successful here. You know, had he not predecided, had this not already been um, something that he had, had, he could have done what I've done in my life several times compromise or rationalize. Okay, he hadn't decided, he's hungry. They shove this food in front of him, and he's thinking, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm hungry. And all the other Jewish boys are eating it, and God isn't striking them down. That looks okay, and maybe I could do it this now, but God understands I've got to eat something, and maybe I can just do this, and he'll just forgive me. Rationalizing and compromising, he could have gone there. But here's the key. He, he had predetermined, he had made a decision before he was ever faced with this temptation. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, your success in so many different avenues of of spiritual success will be determined by what you have determined before you face the trial, what you determine ahead of time. Now, I don't know who, hearing these words today, is is, is who this might pertain to, probably many of us, but I believe the Holy Spirit is personalizing this for people right now. That there are some of us who, in this room, know, are knowing in this moment that we need to predetermine some things in our soul. Decide right now that, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to serve my God, and so I will fill in the blank such and such, or I will not, you know, such and such. And you, you are right now doing business with the Holy Spirit, and I just think this is a holy moment. Let, follow, the, follow the leading of the Lord. You know, I'll give you an example of this. Um, before I was a Christian, let's say high school age, I was doing things that were not what my parents raised me to do. You know, I did some partying and, you know, the beer and the whiskey and that kind of stuff. And um, I don't think my parents knew at the time. I'm pretty sure they didn't because I was pretty sneaky. I mean, Mom, I'll just admit to you, right? My mother's here in the room. Okay, might as well keep things clean with Mom, right? Okay, so Mom, you probably never knew that I kept quart jars of whiskey hidden in the salal out in the front yard. It's terrible, isn't it? 
<laughs> Surprise your mom right in front of the church. Okay. So, so I was, you know, <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> okay. You have to forgive me because these people are witnesses. So, um, um, you know, I was doing things as a high school aged kid that um, a lot of kids do. A lot of you did. Some of you are doing them now. I mean, I'm, I, mean I, I was doing these things that um, were just what, what, what culture said was okay to do. I wasn't a Christian, didn't know any better, except I knew better, but I was still sneaking around behind doing this. And, and so this was going on. And then um, I became a Christian, and the Lord got a hold of my heart, and all of a sudden I had this desire to start being righteous with my Lord. I mean, to do the things that he was saying, hey, Terry, do this, be this, you'll be better, you'll be happier, you'll, you know, you know, and those kinds of things. And so I started thinking, okay, I shouldn't, so I started, I, I came to a place where I pre-decided, because all my friends, this is what we did. We, we either attended them or put them on. I mean, huge parties. Some of those would make things like, that you've seen in movies look low-key. I mean, we did some... Anyway, I came to a point where I decided, I, I, I can't do this anymore. This does not glorify God. It's, it dishonors my parents. I don't want to have this sneaking around thing going on. And I pre-decided I'm not going to do that. So when the day came, and I, you may have heard me share, but when, when I got engaged um, and I told the guy who was my best friend and my best man that I was getting married, I also said to him, do not, do not make my bachelor party the excuse for the next kegger, okay? Which I knew he would. And, um, you know, he um, loved me and all that kind of stuff, but I think he thought he was going to do me a favor because I was getting a little weird, you know, getting a little standing out a little bit too much. And, um, and I, 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 I kind of followed up on him, and I found out what was going to be the next big kegger was going to be my bachelor party. And I said, I won't come. So I guess I didn't actually have a bachelor party Maybe I did, and I just didn't show up. I don't know, but, but I didn't go to my, ba- my own bachelor party. And I, had, I guess a lot of people were there. And, you know, I didn't wait because I had pre-decided. I just didn't go. And, and, and I didn't wait until, here's what pre-deciding gets you. I didn't wait until I was riding shotgun some Saturday night with my best friend, riding shotgun in the car to decide whether we're going to go to the party or not. I knew if Saturday night came and I was riding shotgun with that particular friend, I was going to a party. So I predecided before I got into the passenger seat of the car with him that I wasn't going to do that. I, I, I didn't wait until we were all of a sudden pulling into some driveway next to some barn and started saying, oh God, lead me. I'm listening to your spirit. Give me an idea of what I should do, God. I didn't wait until then. That moment had already happened. <laughs> I didn't get there because I'd made this predetermined decision. I'd resolved my heart that I was going to do it. And it was successful for me because I decided in advance, before I was under the heat of the fire. And some of you will predetermine some things that you're just not going to do. You know, Maybe, like me, you used to be a little bit of a party freak, and f- f- somehow the Lord is getting a hold of your heart now, and you're selling out to Jesus, which is really a cool thing. And so you say to yourself, well, I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to get drunk, so I'm predetermined in myself, my heart. I'm just not going to get drunk. So, so maybe for you, you get invited to your friends, and so you'll go to a party, and you just won't drink, and that's fine. Or maybe you'll, you think to yourself, I can't handle it. If I go there, I won't be able to. So you just don't go. Whatever it is, you predetermine it in your heart, 
and that you're not going to dishonor your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, or what it is that the Lord is speaking to you, so therefore you don't get drunk. Or maybe you predetermine that you're just going to no longer be involved in these discussions at your office where you know, there's trash talk about the opposite sex or the boss, it's a boss, boss bashing party. Boss bashing, try and say that. Boss bashing party. I mean, you just decide, for you to, you're not going to go to those things anymore. So you're there and it starts up and you just, just excuse yourself and leave because you just don't want to participate in those. Or maybe you're married and you predetermine that you're no longer going to have any intimate, let's say, two personal conversations with members of the opposite sex. And, you know, you think, well, everybody else does that at work. And, you know, guys are always talking about how bad their wife is and wives or women are always talking about how bad their husband is. And you think, I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to have those kinds of conversations with people because you've predetermined in your heart. You decide before the events what it is that you will do and will not do. I um, had made some decisions about my character and was working hard to really honor some things about my character. And uh, in early in our married life, um, I used to hunt all the time. And um, if you are a hunter and you have a hunting party, then this will make a lot more sense to you. But I think that it'll make sense to everybody. So I, I had this hunting party that I hunted with, for deer and with them for elk over years and years and years. And a hunting party can become almost like a marriage where, <laughs> almost, you know, where you really get to the point where you trust and depend on each other and it can kind of become a very mutual club and exclusive and you don't, you know, outsiders don't get to come in with you and that kind of stuff. So pretty rare. And one night, um, so, so our group, um, we were hunting and it was elk season. It was the night before of opening. And we'd been there several days, scattered, scattered the herds, and we knew where they were, and we had a strategic plan. We knew the countryside. We were going to be at different points when daylight came, and we were going to do these things. And we had it all mapped out in our mind what we were going to do to get to harvest a bunch of elk. And I loved elk hunting, and I love you know, having free meat. Free elk meat is only about 80 bucks a pound by the time you pay for everything. <laughs> but... Um, um, <laughs> um, Anyway, so um, we had this all figured out, and, and one of the members of our elk hunting party had invited to join us this year a, um, a distant friend. And it was okay. I mean, okay. you know. So we're sitting around the campfire talking about what we're going to do, and this guy says, okay, well, when, when, when all the action starts tomorrow, if the elk herd comes towards me, I'm going to keep shooting bulls until I have enough on the ground for all of our tags. Now, if you don't know about hunting, that's not legal. Okay? Um, and a lot of hunters at the time, statistically, like you would get an elk every 10 or 15 years. It was not a common thing to get elk. It was hard. Our hunting party did well. We'd, anyway. Um, but he was, you know, he was thinking like, okay, the opportunity strikes, we're going to like harvest everything we can. And it got kind of quiet around the campfire because this was a close friend of many people, almost family kind of friend with, with most, of these, most of the people sitting around the table, around the, around the campfire. And I thought, nobody's going to say anything here. I'm, I can't do this. And I said, hold it. You need to know right now, you do what you need to do, but I'm not going to put my tag on any animal that I didn't shoot. You won't? 
what if the elk come towards you and you're the only one with a shot? You're going to let a bunch of bulls go by? I said, yeah. I'm going to put one animal on the ground and my tag's going to go on that animal. I can't do it. I can't, it's not right. And it turned into a row. <laughs> I mean, it didn't get violent. It got verbally violent. And um, it was a no-win scenario for the people who were close family, almost family to this guy, and it was obviously a no-win scenario for the two of us because we were on opposite poles. And I was standing out. And um, every now and then, every now and then in your life, because of what you've predecided that you're going to do that's going to honor God, you have to stand out. And if you are never standing out, if you are always blending in, I'm going to say you're not fully following Christ. That's what these Hebrew boys were up to before they were ever kidnapped. They decided in their hearts that they had resolved that they weren't going to consume things. They were not going to receive things into themselves that dishonored their God. So what sounds like for them, too, is this one-time event, you know, about the food. No, it was ongoing. They stood out day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. They stood out for breakfast. They stood out for lunch. They stood out for dinner over and over and over. They made one decision that set them apart again and again and again. And if you're a fully committed follower of Christ, you're going to find that the closer you get to Jesus, the more often you'll find yourself standing out. And you're not even ashamed because of what he's done for you. So watch the wisdom now of Daniel in verses 12 to 15 as we see this kind of play out. Please, he says, he says to the chief, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. In other words, we don't want to eat the meat and the wine dedicated to pagan gods. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who will eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Do you notice what they did not do? They didn't come on with some kind of big, huge protest, you know? Oh, no, you don't. We're believers in Yahweh, and we will not eat your food dedicated. <laughs> okay. They didn't do that. Instead of throwing this big fit, making some kind of a scene, with wisdom, they presented a plan respecting the authority. And they just said, hey, they just say, could, we, could we just try something else? Because, see, you can stand out for the right things in the right way. You can do it in the right way. And there are some Christians who stand out for things in the wrong way. It's been known to happen. I mean, you know, maybe you have noticed the Facebook Bible police, and if something is said wrong, they'll jump in with a comment, well, but the Bible says this, and there's this rude, angry tone to it. Or, or maybe you know someone that is kind of the turn, and bur- turn or burn, you know, it seems like they want to share, you know, you better turn or you're going to burn. You're going to go to hell where the worm never dies and there's gnashing of teeth. And it's like, oh, you know. Okay, you can stand out in the wrong way. Maybe you know somebody that does that. Please don't point at them. Just pray for them, okay? <laughs> but we're going to stand out. We need to learn to stand out for the right things at the, in the right way, the right time, and for the right reasons. And to do that correctly, we need the wisdom of God.
And God will give us wisdom. Um, you know, our Savior pointed what to me is the primary right way to stand out. I, this is my opinion. I think it's the primary way. We find this in John 13, verse 34. And these are the words. This is Jesus talking. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men, all men, by the way, does that include people who don't know the Lord? That's how everyone is going to know that you follow him, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, if you are to effectively stand out for Christ, to, to share the love of Christ, I want to say right now, capitulating on the word of God is never involved. It's never the answer. Do not compromise on the word of God. But neither do you saddle other people with some sort of loveless legalism that Jesus never intended them to carry in the first place. Every time I get frustrated and my temperature gets higher than it ought, which happens occasionally, I confess this to you, I get this proverb circulating in my soul that says this. It says, The anger of man will not produce the righteousness that God desires. Legalism won't either. Instead, your authentic love for Christ will naturally produce your authentic love for people. Authentic love for people. By the way, love is not an emotion. If it was an emotion, then why did Jesus command it? It's an action. It'll show up as an action. And, and here's, let's talk about the word authentic here for a minute. It's so important. I mean, I mean, I told you before that I wouldn't go to my bachelor party because of the kegger issue, and that was the right response for me under the circumstances, to find out a way to say, hey, I can't do this because it's wrong for me without somehow projecting a judgment upon my friends. Unsaved people who had no right to say, here's what God expects of you. Unsaved people, you know what God expects of them? Relationship. That's it. Until you become saved, all of the rest of this, this is for you and me. You believers and me. So, so, what, what, where we lose authenticity as lovers of Christ is when we start pressing some unreasonable, inappropriate expectations on other people. We lose authenticity with them. Now, so, okay, so, so another example for me was when I worked in the big corporation before I got into ministry. Um, it was really a regular occurrence for, for my colleagues, other management people. We would, they would go, we would go out after work to a bar and have a beer and a burger. Some of them wouldn't have the, would, would skip the burger. And I know, you know, maybe some of the more religious people sitting here going, oh, I can't believe you went into a place like that with a bunch of sinners. And I'm saying, well, you know, I did exactly what I believe Jesus would have done. He would have been with those people that needed him. And so without apology or an explanation, I would go with them, and I would not get drunk, okay, just settle on that soul. I would just enjoy, you know, have a Coke with my friends. And over time, you know, they would say, hey, how come you're not? And I'd just say, hey, it's just not right. It's just right for me not to. I just don't want to. And, but go ahead. I mean, I didn't project any judgment on them. And, and over, they, they, would, they became comfortable with that. And if I wasn't there when they started, they would have ordered a Coke for me. And they knew that's just what it was going to be for me. And they accepted it. And, and, and over time, they, they would come to me. And I'd get things like this from them. Hey, um, I'm really not religious, but I know you are, and my marriage is a mess. Would you pray for me? 
and doors started to open. And I, I believe that the reason that they were open was because I was authentic in my love for them. More. This, it, was, it was authentic love, not authentic judgment. So we seek wisdom for God about standing out in the right ways, the right time, for the right reasons. And every one of you is going to get opportunities to pre-decide some things, that you, areas of your life where you're willing to be a difference for people around you. So in verse 19, we keep going, we're just about done. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God had given these boys supernatural understanding. They did better in school. And later on, if you, we'll find this in coming weeks, he gave them you know, the ability to interpret dreams and visions, he, which literally he uses them to redirect the course of history because they stood up for what mattered most. I mean, I think sometimes about what if they had compromised? What if they had failed the courage to stand out? Nothing historic would have happened with them. We would never have heard of them. I think it's better to be remembered for standing out than to be forgotten for blending in. If you're always blending in, then you're not really fully committed to following the Lord. And we don't stand out to make a statement. We stand out because he called us to be different. He called us to be different. Because Jesus calls us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be, re- be renewed. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's in doing that that you'll be able to test and approve what is his good and perfect will, his pleasing will for you. I really believe you cannot be a part-time Christian and stand out and have victory. I want to pray, and um, then there's going to be a short video after prayer. Would you just 